Well, good morning. Anybody want to try something new? Raise your hand if you're up for something new. All right, good. That, that's just a handful. That, that's pretty brave because you never know where this could go. But if you got your digital bulletin this last week, you noticed that there was a, a little element in there that I said I would love to hear from some people in the church about this sermon series and what it has has meant to you. I've heard in conversations one-on-one with people, uh, you know, that, that, that God has really spoken to them either through the book or through the process of memorizing the scripture or just through the messages. And so we made a, a little option for you to click and to let us know how God has been speaking to you through this sermon series. And I would love to hear from you in the next couple of days. So by tomorrow night uh, around 5 o'clock so that I can prepare and maybe even address some questions that you have or share some, some elements that are shared with me. So um, if you got that, if you got that uh, digital bulletin and, and you saw that and you didn't click the link, I would love for you to click the link. Uh, a couple people did it, so I know it works, um, but not very many. And so I wanted to mention it. And also learned last week that, that some people, particularly from one service provider, had started to see the, the digital bulletin go to their junk mail. And they had asked, you know, Pastor Mark, why did you guys stop sending that? We really liked it. And I said, oh, we didn't stop sending it. And so I thought I would just mention that. If you stopped getting it mysteriously, check your junk mail folder. If you, uh, if you don't get it and you'd like to, there's a weekly email list checkbox on your connection card right above the QR code. Click that or put a check mark in that and we'll make sure that you're getting it or you can always use a note to let us know, hey, I used to get it, I don't anymore. Sometimes things get messed up, um, but we want to make sure that that's hitting your inbox on Friday mornings and then make some time uh, between Friday morning and Sunday morning to read that so that uh, we know some things that are going on around here. There's even a QR code if you just want to scan that and then come back to it a little bit later uh, as well. So the last couple of weeks... We've been kind of in the heart of this sermon series, A Life Without Lack, and we've been looking at what Dallas Willard in his book, Life Without Lack, calls the three keys to life. It starts out with the key to life is trust in God, and then we find out there's actually three keys to life. It all starts with trust in God, and then last week we talked about death to self. So there's trust in God, and then ironically, one of the keys to life is death to self. And so you think, wow, how can, how can those two kind of go together? And yet they do. And we saw last week they go together in a very, very powerful way. And so there is a progression in which trust in God is completed in death to self. That when you trust God completely and with every part of who you are, that naturally leads to or enables or empowers us to die to ourselves and to live for him. And the final key to life is what we're going to look at today, and that's what we would call love, agape love, that, that the sufficiency that we find in God is completed in agape love, in a self-sacrificing love for others. Dallas Willard says in chapter 7 of the book, faith, which he really calls as trust, death to self and agape love support our Psalm 23 life as a triangle of sufficiency. And I love the image that is shared there of this, this triangle of sufficiency that when we have faith or trust in God, when we have death to self, and when we have love, agape love, outward focus, self-sacrificing love, working in concert with each other, then the more faith we have, the more we can die to ourselves. The more we die to ourselves, the more we can love others. The more we love others, the more our faith in God will grow. And you see that that, that spins, and, it, and it's a life-giving, abundant life triangle 
that, that fuels uh, and, and adds to that sufficiency that we experience in God. And it naturally leads to, he says, it naturally leads to or results in a life without lack. And that reminded me of a statement that I have shared many times, that it is not how hard we try to be disciples of Jesus, but how easy it becomes. That is the real measure of our discipleship. It's not how hard we try and we roll up our sleeves and we white-knuckle it through life, trying really, really hard to be like Jesus. Real, Real discipleship through faith, death to self, and agape love is really about how easy it becomes, how naturally we love others, how naturally we find joy in the things that God has designed for us to find joy. And so this week we're going to look at living a life of love and doing it consistently and doing it naturally, not just doing loving things, but cultivating a life that is characterized by love. This is the first fruit of the Spirit. When, when Paul is writing to the Galatian church and he says the fruit of the Spirit is love is first. It's a first fruit of the Spirit. When he's writing to the Colossian church and he says, you know, clothe yourselves in love, patience, kindness, compassion. Clothe yourselves in these things. Just like everybody in the room can close their eyes and I can say, what color is my shirt? And you say, well, it's purple. It's the first thing you saw when I stepped up on stage. And those of you that are paying attention know it's a new shirt, right? (laughs) A couple of you, a couple of you even said, wow, that's a nice new shirt. But you noticed it, right? Because I'm clothed in it. And Paul is saying we should be clothed in love. Not white-knuckling our lives Not knuckling it through our lives, trying to do a loving thing every now and then, but naturally, consistently living a life of love. So as we have each week, we're going to start in Psalm 23, and we're going to see how this psalm, which is at the heart of everything that we've been studying, characterizes a life of love. But David writes this psalm, and and we've been focusing and just looking at the whole psalm as a whole each week, and then maybe focusing on one or two verses. This time, it's like every verse we see this here. But David writes at the beginning of this psalm, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. So that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so it was so funny because I struggled at first with this. I didn't see a direct link to living a life of love in this psalm. And I was kind of scratching my head and I was like, I know it's there. And then as soon as I saw it, I saw it everywhere. And I realized that the connection is that God is love. We know that from 1 John chapter 4, and we'll look at that passage a little bit later. But this idea that God is love shows that he's the example. And and when we say God is love, that's not so much an explanation of who God is. It tells us what love is, right? That God is love. God defines love. Love. 
And then I wrote in my journal as I was thinking through all this, when we do for others what God does for us, we are living and giving a life without lack. When we do for others what God does for us, we're living a life without lack. And we're giving a life without lack to others. And so now when I look at Psalm 23, I see it in every verse. In verse 1, shepherds guide, care for, provide for, and protect the sheep. That's what God does for us. And when we do that for others, we're living a life of love. And we're giving a life of love to others. In verse 2, can we help others find and develop a faith of sufficiency? We see that in verse 2, that he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. Those are, those are pictures of sufficiency. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that, that hungry sheep don't lie down in green pastures. They just keep eating and eating and eating. But when they know that the shepherd is only going to lead them in the right places at the right times, then when he says it's time to lay down, they'll lay down. How can we create that kind of sufficiency in others' lives? Because God has done it for us. How can we help others find rest? How can we lead them beside quiet waters in a chaotic world? where everybody I run into is just looking for a little bit of peace. How can we be agents of that peace? How can it flow into our lives, through our lives, into the lives of others? How can we do for others what God has done for us, as we see in this psalm? Verse 3, how can we refresh others? How can we guide them along the right paths? One of our core values here is leaving a legacy of faith. Is, is our legacy, is the legacy of your life and my life a legacy of faith? Is it, is it passing faith on to the next generation? Is it passing faith on to the lives of others? We're joined by uh, some youth group uh, students and, and leaders from uh, Rapid City that are on their way back from Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And they're seeking to transmit faith from one generation to another. And, and that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we see God doing for us in verse 3. He's leading us along the right paths for his namesake, for his glory. In verse 4, can we walk through dark valleys with others? Because God is walking through our dark valleys with us. He's promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Can we be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of others to walk through dark valleys with them? Can we bring comfort and peace by our presence because God is with us and when we are with them, then God is with them. And they may not know that God is with them all the time, but when we bring the peace and presence of Christ through our relationship with him, into their struggle. Now we are being for others what God is for us and we are bringing Christ into the mix in a powerful way in the lives of others because of the way that we have chosen to orient our lives and that we choose to walk through dark valleys with others so that they can experience the peace and love of Christ that resides in us in their relationship. Because maybe they can't understand or can't connect to a God that they don't tangibly and physically see until they have that relationship with him, but they can experience our peace and our presence in their lives. They don't necessarily need to know where it comes from at first. They can just know that somebody is with them, that somebody cares. And then we get the opportunity to connect the dots for them and say, I went through a difficult time in my life as well, and I found that Christ was with me every step of the way, and he was sufficient for every need that I had, and so I am here with you now because he was there with me then. And this is powerful, and this is, this is what a life of love brings into the lives of others. Verse 5, 
Now, this is one where I kind of had to put an asterisk on it because you don't necessarily want to invite people to a dinner party and they get there and you've invited all their enemies as well, right? That's kind of the picture that's painted in verse 5. And there have been a couple of times in my life when I wanted to do that. I wanted to invite somebody over and have all their enemies sitting around the table and we're just going to rattle off one thing after another we don't like about that person. But that's, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the application here, right? We can trust God to that. But we can sit with others when they face persecution. We can come alongside others when they are struggling. And we can be in their court, just like God is in our court, as they face their enemies or they face their battles. That's what God does for us. We can honor others in the presence of their enemies sometimes and hold them up and lift them up and meet their needs And lastly, we can bring God's goodness and love into the lives of others, can't we? Isn't that what we're all about here? Reaching people for Christ, giving them a place to belong, and helping them grow in their faith? That involves God's goodness and love flowing into our lives, through our lives, into the lives of others. So that they can know that there is a God who loves them and cares for them in that way. And so all of this, when you put this all together and you look at verses 1 through 6 and you think about all the things that God does for us and when we choose to do those in the lives of others, that's living and giving a life of love. That sounds pretty Christ-like, doesn't it? All the things that we've talked about are things that Jesus did when he was walking around and we read about them in the Gospels. And so our bottom line today, I'll give it to you early and I'll give it to you again in, in a few minutes, but our bottom line today is that a life of love is a life without lack. A life of love is a life without lack. You might be saying, well, I don't think so. Because when you talk about self-sacrificing surrender, that introduces all kinds of lack into our lives. But if we think back to the triangle, if we think back to the sufficiency that is created when we deeply, deeply trust in God, when we die to ourselves and when we choose to live a life of love empowered by his spirit in step with his spirit, that is a life without lack. We won't experience lack in the ways that we will when we're not seeking to live a life of love. And so there are three New Testament passages that I want to look at that flesh this out a little bit. The first one gives us a definition of love. And if you've been to a wedding recently, you've probably heard this one. It's almost always included in a wedding. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of the best definitions of love that we have in Scripture where love gets this fully orbed, kind of multidimensional, what it is, what it isn't, in short, successive statements. And so when I read this, it should sound fairly familiar to you. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, in each case, the word that is translated as love is the Greek word agape. And so when we talk about agape love, we're talking about a specific kind of love. It's also translated or or understood in, in the original language as benevolence, a giving love, a sacrificing love, a benevolent love, an affectionate love, that there is often affection that is attached to it. But it always includes self-sacrifice. And so the love that God has for us is a benevolent, affectionate, self-sacrificial love. And that's the love he calls us to love others with 
And that's the love that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's distinct from other types of love, from erotic or sexual love, from brotherly love, from family-type love. This love is attributed to God in his love for Christ, for us, and for the world. This is the love that, that God so loved the world with. This is the love that Jesus had in his heart that held him to the cross. This is the love that we are called to have. And it is defined here both what it is and what it is not. But Dallas Willard comments on this passage and he says something very profound. He says, love is not an action. It is a source of action. Love is not an action. It is a source. It is the motivation for action. And so love is what produces the actions within us. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an action in and of itself. It's the source of the actions that typify or exemplify a life of love. And I find it interesting that Paul is talking about spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians 13. If you look at that section of Scripture, chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, when he's been talking about these spiritual gifts, he says, now let me show you the most excellent way. And that's his introduction to the chapter on love. Love is the most excellent way. It is the most Christ-like way. It is the most godly, godlike way. And he spends a whole chapter talking about love. And we've just focused on the middle section of it. But as you think about living a life of love, this whole chapter speaks into that. And if we do all kinds of good things, but we don't have love, we're just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. We've missed the point. It's not about the actions. It's about the love that motivates the actions. And when the love that motivates the actions is rooted in that triangle, in trust in God, death to self, then the love will flow naturally out of that. Does that make sense? Is that, that's what we're talking about here in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and living a life of love. Now, I mentioned the passage that we're going to look at next from 1 John 4. This is probably where we're spending the most time. So if you want to turn there, you can. It'll be on the screen behind me. But there's blue Bibles in the seats in front of you. And you can grab that and turn to page 1902 if you want to read along at this. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 and then verse 16. And in verses 7 through 12 and 16... John, writing to other believers, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And I would say live a life of love through him a life without lack through him this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another there's a natural progression here that God loved us so much and if we love God then we should naturally love one another verse 12 no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And that's one of those statements in Scripture that just blows my mind. That there is an element of God's love that is completed when it passes through our lives into the lives of others. That it it comes full circle, that it reaches its fulfillment. 
when we choose to take the love that we have received and not try to hoard it, not try to be a, a reservoir for it, but to be a channel for it to flow right through our lives into the lives of others. And then verse 16, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And it's a passage of scripture that's just so profound. We could probably spend a series going through this passage and all the things that it says. But a couple of things I want to call out to you first. Don't forget who's writing this. This is John. This is John who, who's known throughout time as the beloved disciple. In his gospel, he refers to himself often as the one Jesus loved. Do you refer to yourself as one Jesus loves? Do you ever do that, either privately or with others? Would you ever introduce yourself to somebody at a gathering as, Hi, I'm Mark, one Jesus loves. We smile warmly and think, oh, that would be nice. This is how he identified himself to the world for all time. I'm the one Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but that was John's identity. And I think there's something powerful in that. That that was his rooted true identity. I often write at the top of my journal page, I thank you, God, that I am a beloved child of yours in whom Christ dwells and delights. I remind myself often that that's true about me. That when God looks at me, he doesn't, he smiles. He says, that's my beloved child. Christ dwells in him and delights in him. And he, it's true for you too. If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, then when God looks at you, he smiles and he sees his beloved son, his beloved daughter, in whom Christ dwells and delights. He also says God is light in chapter 1 of this letter, this First John letter. And here in chapter 4, he says God is love. Light and love. Revelation and action. Revelation, this expression, God is love. God is light. He illuminates. He reveals himself to us, but, but he also is love. He is active. And that love is a divine, godly, godlike, Christ-like character. And so the big picture of this, state, of this passage, which we see twice, is that God is love. That Jesus dying on the cross for us is the clearest picture of sacrificial love that we have available to us. And we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we love others as ourselves. That was what Jesus said for us to do. That was the new commandment, the first and greatest commandment. We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a vertical relationship. And then out of that love, out of that relationship with God, then we have horizontal relationships with everybody else. We love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's the picture of the cross. Divine love and our relationship with him, and then our love for others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 12, we see this statement that I called out as I read it, and it's just a mind-blowing statement, that his love is made complete in us. That's a picture of sufficiency, that his love is made complete in us because his love is everything we need, and that as it flows through us, it does not diminish us in any way. It enhances every part of our lives. 
And that's why John says it's made complete in us. The Greek word is teleos. It means perfected, mature, finished. That God's love is finished and complete when it moves through our lives into the lives of others. That's the purpose. And when it comes through our lives into the lives of others, now it can go into their lives and into the lives of others and into those lives and into the lives of others. And you see, that's God's vision for this world is that his love would be flowing through people into the lives of others. And when we love others as Christ loves us, his love reaches its fullness and it accomplishes its full purpose. That's what John is saying here. And that's why living a life of love is so important. And verse 16 tells us that we can live in God and God can live in us when we live a life of love, when we choose to love, when we choose to put others first, when we die to ourselves through our faith in Christ and empower agape love in every aspect of our lives, when we choose to love God and to live for God and to love others and live for others. That's why our bottom line is true, that a life without lack is a life of love and a life of love is a life without lack. There's one final passage that I want to look at before we, before we wrap this up. And we've really just hit the high notes. In pretty much every sermon, we've just hit the high notes. And so if you have the book, I would really encourage you to read chapter 7 because it goes in depth in a number of practical applications of this. But this passage is really where we get the source of our sermon title today of living a life of love. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and then I also want to look at 8 through 10. In verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, this passage came forcefully onto my spiritual radar a couple of years ago as I was preparing for a funeral, and it was one of the verses that the family had asked me to focus on. And it's become a frequent prayer focus for my life. God, help me to live a life of love today, today, each day. To imitate God, that's the the context for this. Be imitators of God in verse 1. As dearly loved children, that's our rooted identity. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the standard. Christ is the standard. His sacrificial love for us is the standard. And we started this whole thing off a month ago in week one with the bottom line, Jesus lived a life of love. So can we. He will empower us to do so through his Holy Spirit. And some people are starting to catch this idea and it's starting to go deeper and deeper into their lives and that's what they're sharing with me and that's what I'm excited about that's been taking place over the last month or so in our congregation and so verses 8 through 10 talks about the redemption and the transformation that has taken place in our lives that empowers us to do this it says for you were once in darkness but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. That's the action step for us as we live a life of love. We remind ourselves that we were once darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. We live as children of light, and we find out what pleases God. Because we're dearly loved children. We have light. We have revelation. We have 
work to do. We have love flowing into us and out through us. And so as Willard summarizes, the goal is not to be people who do loving things, but to become the kind of people who naturally, joyfully, and easily love. Naturally, joyfully, and easily love. It's someone we become, not just something that we do. And that's what I hope you hear today, that a life of love is a life without lack, and Jesus enables us to do it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your goodness and grace. We are thankful for your presence in our lives. We're thankful for your love, that you don't just do loving things for us. You are love. You pour your love into our lives. You lead us in love through your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to live a life of love in your power and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.